Hello, hello, and welcome to the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. It's Joy Foster, your host, and I am delighted today to be joined by a friend. We've been friends for a long time, a mentor, uh, someone who's inspired me uh, and really has helped me to play bigger, to think bigger. Uh, so welcome to the show, Sherry Kutu. I'm so delighted that you're here. Uh, well, Joy Foster, it's a delight to be here. So thanks for asking me. So Sherry and I met uh, years and years ago at a mutual friend's daughter's first communion, I believe that's what it was. And uh, we got, we were sitting next to each other. I think they put us next to each other because we were both uh, North American. <laughs> You're from Canada, I'm from the US. And we had this, um, we just hit it off. We had this great conversation and you were working on launching this program to help uh, entrepreneurs go into schools to inspire students to become entrepreneurs. And I ended up volunteering for a little while, helping you do that. And then I came on as one of the very first employees in that organization and was a big part of building that up. And now it's on its own and running off and it's crazy. It's, it's amazing the work that you're doing there. Um, but you also introduced me to entrepreneurship. I mean, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. And, um, and I tell the story often of going to uh, the Orangery at, is it Kensington Palace? Is that where we were? Yep. And um, it was a big entrepreneurial dinner and I sat next to a bunch of serial entrepreneurs. I didn't even know what a serial entrepreneur was. I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was uh, apart from just knowing that they built businesses. But I didn't know you could build multiple businesses. I mean, it was like a whole education. And and I remember walking away from that dinner going, oh, I, I know who I am, you know, and then I needed to explore social entrepreneurship a bit. And that's the, the route I went. But you were extremely influential in the early days of me shifting from kind of doing that project on the side to let's build a real legit business. And uh, I'd love for you to share your story of how you built your business, how you, your, your initial business and, and how you got involved in investment and just how you've learned to play big, how you've learned to think bigger than, you know, the average, uh, the average business owner uh, for sure. And, you know, certainly you're in the elite on the women's side as well. So I'd like you to inspire my listeners a bit. Um, well, th thanks, Joy. Well, you mentioned I'm Canadian. I grew up in a logging town, uh, a lumber town in Canada, um, and neither of my parents were entrepreneurs. One was a civil servant and the other worked for the telephone company, was an engineer. So um, I think the community of which I'm a part has allowed me to, to dream to dream big. I think it is nurture. You know, it's not nature, but it's nurture for me. So you can teach entrepreneurship, but I also think you can you can spot it. Um, it wasn't until I was 22 and I'd moved to the UK where I met my first serial entrepreneur. His name was Richard Crusoe. And he was studying mentorship uh, for his PhD at the London School of Economics. Um, and I liked numbers and I liked trends. So I was there to do you know, an economics master's degree, econometrics. I like numbers, I like trends. And I met this guy and, and he he told me I was an entrepreneur and I, you know, I honestly didn't even know what the word meant. So similar to what, you know, you had mentioned. Uh, and it's just like, no, I don't I don't think so. I'm, I'm you know, I think I think I'm interested in business, but I wasn't really sure even then, um, although I was, you know, I was studying trends. Um, and that's when I met my first one. Uh, we then studied as role models uh, a woman called Steve Shirley, and she was my light bulb movement. And I absolutely love her. Um, and um, and she had, you know, she changed her name from Stephanie to Steve so that, you know, discrimination that was absolutely rife at the time was less easy to, to happen. And she would sign letters, Steve, and it, it, they would just think they were dealing with a guy. And it, it, there was, it just removed a barrier. And I thought, well, A, it's odd and it's not great that there's a barrier there, but what a practical way of getting around it. 
Um, and her business was employing computer scientists who dropped their kids off to school. They then came to their offices. They worked as outsourced computer programmers and for you know half of the day. And then they went to pick their kids up and then they carried on being moms. And I thought, oh, you can be a computer programmer and you can like work in your home and you get paid a lot of money. And that sounds really interesting. And, and you can work and have children at the same time because my mother had stopped working for seven or eight years and then gone back to work when I was in school. And that was what I had thought I would do. And I thought, oh, there's a whole bunch of people who don't do that. Maybe that's maybe that's where I am. Um, so I sort of got to know Richard, who later became a mentor, studied Steve. And I thought, I think I'm one of those. It finally it, you know, I thought about all sorts of careers and had all, you know, many, many things suggested to me. And um, and then it's just like, that one really sounds interesting. I like the idea. You know, I had no idea that all of the companies that were around me were created by people um, like you and I. I had absolutely no idea that that's where they came from. Uh, anyway, so it lit my mind on fire. And um, I then uh, my first job after sort of my um, sort of master's degree was as a computer engineer very much because of Steve Shirley, absolutely. He's like, oh, well, I need to understand technology if that's the sort of thing. I like all of the options it keeps open. So became a computer engineer, uh, software engineer, also software architect, did that for a couple of years, um, then went into finance, uh, was headhunted from the first job uh, to the second one, liked that, worked with a whole bunch of MBAs um, and um, thought, oh, well, I need to understand the way they think. So um, I went off and I did an MBA. The, I, I was actually kind of following a man to the East Coast. Um, I had a boyfriend and he had moved to New York. And I thought, I sort of was thinking an MBA. Now I really need one. And it clearly has to be within spitting distance of New York, um, which isn't really the right reason for choosing an MBA. But it was an influencing decision. So um, I moved to Boston where I was studying for an MBA. We promptly broke up, of course, because, you know, of course you would. Um, anyway, at the MBA, I studied a lot of business. I think we did 800 case studies in, um, in, in entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial finance, how you build businesses. I met a lot of entrepreneurs because I was studying them because I wasn't sure I was one or I could be because they were quite mysterious beings to me at that point. Um, and I probably needed quite a lot of convincing before I overcame my insecurities or fears about, is that something that I can do? Anyway, um, uh, after, after after sort of uni, um, went and worked as a strategy consultant um, for a very short period of time. And then one of my friends from business school was starting up a company and um, it was very related to some of the stuff that I had done when I was a computer, you know, the engineer beforehand working for a big consulting company. And I absolutely jumped on it. It's like, yeah, I'd love I'd absolutely love to. I guess I, I knew that I could do the thing that they needed me to do because I'd done it. But for a big, big company before. Um, and I liked the problem they were trying to trying to solve. So that's the, the story of what gave me enough. Um, I don't know, get up and go to literally sort of quit, you know, a, a good job uh, and make the plunge. And some of my friends thought I was absolutely crazy. They're like, are you joking? It's like, no, no, this is really, this is exciting and I want to do it. And I'm still young and I, I don't have kids at the moment. And, you know, I can, I think I can do this and I, I believe in what they're trying to do. So co-founded a company with this, with this fellow. There was a lot of traveling, um, and uh, I then I had another idea. Um, and by then I, I thought everybody was a serial entrepreneur. And I thought, well, uh, well, I'll just pursue this thing. So I started up a subsidiary in my mind of the first company 
which was my second company, which I ended up floating. And I thought it was fine to have both of them because in my mind, they were very similar. Now, in the investor's eyes, they were definitely not similar. And they told me that I had to stop doing one. Uh, they told me to stop doing the second one. And I didn't want to stop doing the second one because I was even more in love with it than the first one. Um, so I worked my way out of the first company and um, and incorporated the second one. And it went on to, um, well, to, to float. It was the most oversubscribed flotation on the London Stock Exchange, the main market at the time. This is in 2000. Um, and that was exciting. And it was valued at more than a billion Canadian dollars, uh, which I was excited, which I was excited by. Um, we did create a solution that millions of people liked. We were making it much, much easier for people to do something that they had done for a long time, but it was hard to do it. There were all sorts of, you know, user issues and, you know, compliance issues and the big companies that were supplying this service had sort of lost the focus on what their customers needed, which is the best thing ever for an entrepreneur. So it's like, well, let's make it easier because it shouldn't be this hard. And then it's like, oh, well, we've done this category. We should do this category. And oh, we should do this category too. And oh, well, maybe we should do this one too. Um, and you just kept on introducing new, you know, it, you know, I now think of them as product extensions, um, but we were really just helping our customers doing other stuff that they needed to do. We were using technology um, in ways that were brilliant. The, I didn't mention the first company um, lowered the, the cost of, um, of collecting information very, very, very significantly, almost down to zero. Um, and um, so our profit margin was not like 90 or 95%. And all of our competitors were at a you know significantly higher cost. So it was a beautiful model. This, the second model, uh, the second business model um, was a subscription, was an e-commerce model, an early e-commerce model. And it, you had subscriptions, you had a free service, you had subscription service, and then you had a premium service. And um, it really turned the the industry model on its, you know, on its head in a bunch of ways in favor of the customer rather than the advisor and rather, you know, and rather than the incumbents. And I quite like the disruptive models, but I don't think of them as disruption. I think the incumbents think, oh, this is disruption. It's like, well, actually it's constructive for the customer. So the way I as an entrepreneur think is, is it harder for the customer than it should be? And if it is, then that's a great opportunity to do something big. And on the big on the big thing, there are so many problems in our world that are big. And if you can, you know, use technology and put together a team that solves a big problem, then you impact more people. And you that's a good that's got to be a good thing. But I also think that a big thing can be, a, you know, when we met, you were really helping people in your community and that is big and you change their, their, their lives. Uh, so that's your entrepreneurial, you know, something wasn't happening. You made it happen in your community. Um, and that's, that's good. So big is a big problem for you, the entrepreneur, you know, you don't have to set out to create a company that floats on the stock exchange. You don't have to do that. Um, but if you've, you know, but if you want to, it's absolutely possible as per your shirt. Um, and uh, uh, it is absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, if you can think of a big problem and you can find a solution to it, then it's actually really easy for you to put together a team of like minded kindred spirits that can help you solve those problems. 
when you helped us, you were our first employee at Founders for Schools, which is now used in more than 50% of all schools in Scotland. And more than 50% of kids in Scotland have met entrepreneurs in their classroom because you joined our company. I first as a volunteer because we had absolutely no money at the start. Um, I wanted to go on to the first company I talked about was a for-profit company. First two were for-profit companies. As entrepreneurs, we can start up for-profit companies sometimes. We can also start up not-for-profit companies or charities. I think they're both really, really important for our society. Um, and I think also for our gender, depending on what stage of your life you're at, you may care more about things that just need to be done but can't be done for profit for, you know, for, for one reason, one reason or another. No reason not to do it. You just need to understand it still needs money because you're still going to need to employ people um, and you still need to motivate them. So, you know, it's, you know, organizations need money. So even if it's not for profit, you still need a revenue stream, be it from, you know, subscriptions or donations or grants, you still need to do that and you still need to add the value. Um, and for the people who work at it, they need that purpose. They need to know that what they do every single day makes a difference um, in something they're passionate about, um, which goes back to the big problems. If you're solving a big problem, lots of people are passionate about it. So it actually becomes easier to solve that because it's easier to get a team of kindred spirits around you to find a solution that solves that, that, solves that problem. So, you know, anyway, dream big, but big can mean you know, different things to different people. What yeah. is important is progress and solving, you know, helping solve problems. Uh, it was another entrepreneur for me said, entrepreneurs just solve problems. We don't accept the status quo. So if you don't accept the status quo, don't get mad, don't whinge, fix it. You know, it's, it's, up, it's for us to fix it. Just find something you want to fix. It'll keep you well, going. You've made some incredibly powerful points here. And I think we have talked about big being relative, which I think is really important for people because actually, if you go back to what I was doing uh, in 2008 to 2009, it felt big at the time uh, compared to what I'm doing now, even though relatively they're different. I think it's um, what's interesting is to hear your journey because we're talking, this is a couple decades of, of, of progress, right? So what you're saying is when you were in your twenties and now you're a little bit more mature, and in those decades, you have been able to build on that. And I think that's the other thing is perspective. You know, you start out with a, an idea, a kernel, a seed, and then it builds. Uh, someone, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a well-known proverb that says, you know, the best time to plant an oak tree was 20 years ago. The next best time to plant an oak tree is now. So I think that's something that we can take away. You touched on a couple things that I want to expand on a little bit. Um, number one, a little bit of our audience is still getting familiar with different terms um, like floating uh, and margin. So I just want to clarify that. So floating is when you put your uh, company on the stock um, market and it's publicly invested in. And uh, margin is, is actually the difference between what it costs um, to make it and what you actually make. So, you know, it's your profit basically, effectively. Um, and so not a lot of people fully understand that. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do with the podcast is uh, is explain a little bit of the terminology, help people to understand that. I know for sure when I did my first business course and they talked about uh, your exit strategy, I was like, I didn't even know there was such a thing as an exit strategy. You know, you could actually leave your company uh, at some point, um, it, selling it or, you know, uh, whatnot. So I think it's really important to start introducing these terms to women to get them to understand what they mean. 
Um, and you've been an investor, you've been an entrepreneur, uh, you have done nonprofit, you've done for profit. So you've experienced all these things. You've been, you've sat on the stock exchange board. Uh, you've, you've just done all these amazing things and you've got all this experience. One thing you touched on a couple times, which I think is a very scary point for most women is, um, in my experience is, and it was my own experience as well, is hiring people. A lot of women, you know, you kept, you said a couple times when you're building something, you're going to need money and you're going to need a team. And I think uh, a lot of women choose to go down the freelance route and I'm just going to do this, you know, exchange time for money and I'm going to, and then it's going to fit around my kids uh, or I'm going to get a job and work for somebody else and it's going to fit around my family. And that's where a lot of women sit and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that and it's a wonderful place to be. But then there's a part of some women, like for me, where you go, actually, I, I'm ready for something bigger. I'm ready for a team. I'm ready for, uh, you know, to move forwards, to build something um, that's bigger than myself. And that's the tricky bit is going from being that freelancer time for money or working for somebody else time for money to let's build something bigger than myself. And we know the statistics. Uh, women's companies do not get the investment that they need, but they're also not asking for the investment they, they need. So talk to talk to the audience about what um, what that's like to raise money, what that's like to uh, invest money, and and also why it's important for women to move down that route if they want to go beyond the the freelancing uh, solo freelancer, you know, yep. <laughs> employee. That's okay. okay. Um, well, well, I think we have we go through different stages. So you often start out, you know, let's say between age 20 and 30, where you would choose to work for somebody else because it's easier and you've got other stuff going on. You're in a fairly social social part of your, your life then. Um, if you think 30 to four, and I'll, I'll think the statistics from LinkedIn tell us that every person will have 25 different jobs in their life um, between graduation and retirement. Now, sometimes those jobs are self-employed. Sometimes those jobs are working for other people. And sometimes those jobs may be working in a company that you formed. But in that, you've got seven different identifiable career themes over a normal average life. So, you you know, you could start out freelance because it's super convenient, super flexible, um, and it allows you to work lots of things over it. Um, and then you move into a different thing. So you're going to have, it's like a cat with nine lives. Most people have seven lives, seven career lives. So you just may, you know, you may be starting and you don't know that you're going to have seven, but you're going to have seven. You just, you know, you're going to have 25, you're going to be clumped into seven on, on average. Um, so there have been times in my past, you know, so when I started out, I was an employee, I was a consultant. I liked it. I was a tiny cog in a giant machine. I learned a lot of different things. Um, I then moved to a company, not as a consultant, but a, you know, a company, it was a, a TV company. Um, and, you know, it was a fairly small company compared to the huge consultancy. And that was like stage two. Then I went into the entrepreneurial starting things up phase. Um, and I'm still starting things up, actually. I still love starting things up. There's a, well, there's still problems that need to be solved that nobody else seems to be solving. So this, this is this terrible trigger for me if I get grumpy and nobody else is doing it. If somebody else is doing it, then sometimes I choose to invest, which is a good trigger for me. It's like, you know, oh, well, there, that's a problem I really think needs to be solved. And let's, let's see about this person. And, you know, if they need money, and I, I do because if I've been successful as an entrepreneur, I, I, you know, have made some money because of the exits, because of selling companies and floating companies. You know, if somebody else is solving a problem I care about, then that's a trigger for me to consider being an angel investor and supporting them, not only with money, 
but also with um, with help. I'm a what's called a hands-on angel investor. There's several different types of investors. You've got angels, which is usually you start with an angel, and then you've got institutional investors, and those are people who work for companies um, who raise money to invest in companies. Um, and I also, I'm also an investor in some investment companies that pay people to do that. But again, they're professional investors. Um, and then there's big asset management companies that make investments in public companies, um, which again have been floated on a stock market where you, where you sell a chunk and hundreds, if not thousands of people buy shares in them. So we'll talk about angel investor um, because the first, you know, if you're going to expand, it could be an angel investor that you come to. And if you understand them, they want you to be successful. That's all they want because you're solving a problem that they may not have time to solve, but they still want solved and they'll have some money. So they're happy to part with it. Um, and you part with the money and you invest. You do ex you come away as an angel investor owning a portion of that company. So as the owner of the company, you don't own 100% of it after an angel has invested in it. Um, and, you know, Joy, you did ask about exit. If someone invests in your company, they do expect if it's an angel, the average hold time is nine years um, before you expect or can even vaguely expect to exit. Um, if it's not going to work, you find out a lot sooner than nine years usually. Um, but the average hold, if you're going to have a positive exit, is, um, is, is nine years. And you work with the entrepreneur, you know, you know, Joy, you work with your investors and they help you do things. Um, and what I often help is with strategy or with finance because I'm really very good with numbers. Um, and I also love product because I, I love technology. So as an investor, I'm either there to help troubleshoot or help navigate a financing or I'm usually obsessed somewhere about the product. And it's like, is it doing what it should for the customers? You know, are you doing enough customer testing? Can you talk about your user focus groups? What are they saying? You know, what do you need to do to your product to outpace, you know, these guys? Um, and it's really helping someone navigate a space. And I, I love doing that as, a, as an angel. I absolutely love doing that. Slightly different than running your own thing. Um, and I went for, when I, um, after I sold the the second company which was interactive investor i went through a phase because i had been working so hard as a chief executive for so long and it corresponded to um having my third child um i went through a break of i'm going to be an angel investor because it's part-time at a whole bunch of things um and it's hugely flexible so instead of working full-time at something that i started it's like i'm just gonna dabble and help other people do other stuff because it means I can do the, the, you know, I can do the school run. I can do this. I can, I can have that time and that space to think. So for me, being an angel was basically taking on a part, bunch of part-time roles, um, and I love doing that. But it's not quite as adrenaline-giving and as exciting as starting up your own thing and working with people to do something worthwhile. So you saw at the tail end uh, again of that phase, I was an angel investor in for-profit things, but I started at Founders for Schools where we worked with tens of thousands of volunteers and the volunteers loved going to talk in schools about their businesses. And they, they could see the kids eyes light up and just realize at the age of, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, I might be an entrepreneur as opposed to, you know, you were, you know, I was 21. You were a little bit older than that when you sort of had that, I might be one of those and really understanding how the world works, which is people starting up companies, running them for, 
some period of time, sometimes a lifetime. There's many, many family run businesses where there's no there's no exit and they don't want there to be an exit. And those are great companies. Um, and then there's some if you get outside investors where 10 to 15 years in, somebody expects their to be a you know an event so that they can get a return on their investment. That's kind of the, the way the world sort of works. Um, but there's nothing better than, you know, for me, I, I've liked all of the, you know, all of the stages. I like right now I've quite involved in three companies, well, two charities in one company, um, at a, you know, really helping them with product and and using technology and understanding technology, how they can deliver absolutely magical things for the people who are using the the product and i absolutely love it you know i don't know if i love it more than being an angel investor i love them both but it's i'm really getting quite i'm getting a lot out of that and so i'm sort of doing less angel things right now because my days are filled with um literally creating product writing algorithms doing stuff that needs to be done that other people for reasons i don't understand aren't aren't doing it and it's very creative and uh and i work with some amazing people who i love spending time with well let's talk about the project that you are very passionate about right now um i you know i when you asked me to come on to the steering committee i was like absolutely just five more minutes in your world <laughs> makes me a better person a better entrepreneur I love learning from you and I wanted to see how you built this. So you've built something called Digital Boost. Tell us about it. And also uh, we'll put in a link uh, below in the show notes and also in the email that goes out with this podcast. And also uh, I'll, uh, we'll make sure you've got the link on social media. But Digital Boost is incredible and it's an opportunity for people to learn, but also to give back. So tell us more about that and, and what how people can get involved. Great. Thank you. So um, so it's a, a spin out of founders for schools and we were approached at found or I was approached by a friend who had been a volunteer at founders for schools and this is the beginning of the pandemic and he said um do you know people who are running businesses are having a really hard time because they don't understand the digital world uh and it's like yeah <laughs> it's like there's a lot of stuff going on so, yes I understand he goes I think you can you can use the model that you had at, at, at Founders for Schools where you took people who were running their own businesses and placed them in schools to talk about their businesses so that kids could think about the businesses they might run or at least understand that people ran, like them ran businesses. And he goes, I think you can do something similar to that, but instead of it being the small businesses in classrooms, it's people who work in professional services firms and the digital industries, and they're helping people who have started up small micro businesses who don't know that much about e-commerce and digital, you know, digital and tech. Um, and it just is like, yeah, yeah, you could, you could, that's, that's a great idea. Uh, and it's like, it wasn't my idea, uh, but it was a really brilliant idea. And it was just like, okay, well, let's see what we'd have to do. So I sort of put my engineering hat on and thought, well, it's still just matching, you know, so we need a, you know, instead of, you know, saying you need to talk about, you know, I don't know, the creative industries industry, you need a different taxonomy. So we analyzed all of the different um, bits of, of digital that you needed to make a business work if you were a small business. And there are 12 big categories, but 55 subcategories. So we came up with a taxonomy that allows us to do matching. Um, we put together, a, again, a, a, a website with a matching engine and we asked volunteers, we did a prototype. So we saw if it worked first 
and sort of put something you know pretty pretty quick pretty quick together just to see if it worked um we asked a bunch of professional service people we you know literally had thousands <laughs> sign up in days it's like would you like to help little companies volunteering your time you're not going to make money from it but you know you can help someone in the community understand a lot more than they do you know are you willing to do that and again it, lots immediately um, and they we wanted to know what they were expert at so we asked them to sort of fill out a tiny form and say I'm expert at you know cybersecurity or social or you know you know maybe live Facebook things again again I'm trying to remember how many expertise that you've signed up to Joya and you've probably got eight or nine expertises that you've signed up to but people tell us when they come on what they can advise on um, and then people when they come to us they're working for a small business say Today, I want to understand, you know, I want to understand how I do social media or I want to understand that. And we just got it working. So if someone comes on, they say, I need to understand social media. We search through our catalog of people, but they're people rather than products. And we um, find one or, well, well we, first of all, we show, we, we look through it, we display it on a screen and you can see a bunch of people uh, and you choose the one that you want. Um, in choosing, we then go ask them, you know, you know, so joy, you know, if it was me and I was asking, it's like, I need somebody to tell me about social and it's going to show me joy. Awesome. I'm going to click joy. I'm going to pop you into my little, my little checkout box. And then you're going to get a, a message from us saying, Sherry would like to talk to you about social. Um, and she's available at, you know, five o'clock, 6 PM or 7 PM this day, this day, this day, you're going to go. What are you going to go? You're going to say, yeah, I can do that. So you click a button saying, yep, I'm up for that. And then you have a little video conference a couple of days later um, and you've sorted out my problem. And it's simple for you. You don't have to do any prep for it because generally you, I mean, you are an expert in this, um, but you're just helping somebody who's not yet an expert um, understand something that you understand deeply. So the, the hunch was people would be generous and they'd be willing to spend an hour of their time with somebody on a specific subject talking about, you know, just helping them figure out what, what they need to do. Anyway, it worked. It, it's awesome. Um, people are generous. On average, people are, are volunteering 1.6 hours per week. Uh, I was kind of thinking it might be an hour a month, but it's it's an hour, you know, an hour and a half a week. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, we haven't had to make very many changes to the taxonomy. We've added on uh, HR and CRM. And one other thing, we underestimated something. Again, we, we kind of missed a category accidentally, but people were very helpful. They kept on asking us like, oh, we're missing, oh, we missed something. So, so we've, we've adjusted it, but generally it seems to, it seems to work. We have 60% of the people that are coming to us are women um, and they're micro businesses. And, um, I love that. You know, we all need to learn. There's lots of things. I even use it. You know, I there's some HR software we were trying to figure out. It's just like, I wonder if I can use my own service for that. So I uh, sort of went and found some expert in something that, you know, HR software. And again, the guy was amazing. Um, and it allowed us to make an, a, you know, a decision the next day because it gave me the confidence to make a decision. So I recommend it to you. Um, I absolutely love it. It's there to help millions of people. You know, if you're if you're running a small business and you don't know something, don't let it stop you. Come to Digital Boost. That's, you know, 
it was put there. There's lots of generous people like Joy and everybody she know, knows, and you know, uh, you know, and, and, and everybody they know. Uh, and again, Joy, you have mentored a number of times, and I do know that your ratings are very high. So, but but they you, are very high, or they are very high. <laughs> they are. They are very high. They are. You're getting ten out of ten. You're getting. You're you're being rated ten out of ten, which is awesome. Um, and you will see. I, I, you need to get up to four before you get to see yours. But I know. Yeah, I'm a, I, I have special ways of telling what people think of you, and you are very highly rated, which is awesome. Um, but you do it. You like doing it. So what I, you know, just explain why someone would volunteer the time because you are. Again, we were wondering if there were enough people like you who would spare an hour to somebody who didn't know that much. But talk talk us through what you get for you know what why yeah, I, so i've been trying to do an hour a week it's not worked out so well for me i've been doing one hour a month i'm probably more on the i'm still in that uh startup scale up phase of my business so i'm all out all the time but what i will say is um i've had some great conversations with people um who are trying to figure out if social is going to work for them and what what social they would use um i had a you know conversation about facebook ads about online membership I mean, I think what I love the most is getting, you know, just being able to answer questions for someone and maybe create a quick pathway to them to move forwards. And uh, and one thing I started doing was just creating a, a, a Google Doc, which I started using when I started working for you, where I just, um, because there's a lot of information, it's almost sometimes it can be a little bit like a fire hose. So I just capture the information as I'm going through it. And then I say, do you want me to send you the document so you can kind of revisit it later? And I think that's been working really well for people because, you know, experts have a lot of knowledge. And then sometimes they give that knowledge to people who don't have that expertise and it can feel very overwhelming. So I think what I'm learning to do is make sure that I try and keep the conversation to what, what one or two problems could we solve in this call rather than here's all the knowledge I have and, you know, go. Go run with it, you know. So our, our 90 day transformational program is called a 90 day transformational pro program for a reason because it takes 90 days to even get all that information out. But what's yeah. great is that I can help someone. Like I was helping a gal who um, runs a, a hotel, a seaside hotel. Um, I've had a couple of the tech pixies jump on and find me because they know I'm hard to get a hold of in terms of actually getting some time with me. So it's been a wonderful service. And I do think I've recommended it heavily to our program. And in fact, we've got a live listener right now who says, um, I know that this is the support I need. I'll be in touch with Digital Boost very soon. Thank you, Joy, for bringing Sherry to my notice. And, you know, that's why you're here, Sherry. And there'll be hundreds, if not thousands of people who listen to this podcast, watch this video and get that information. So I know you've got to go, but I want to say thank you so, so much for your time. Yeah, yeah go for it. So it's not just the one-to-one -one mentoring. Also, we recorded a session that you gave where you had a workshop. And there's workshops, too, where... If you've got a couple of people working with you or even volunteers, you can bring them to those sessions. So we designed sessions. Again, it's been created with small businesses in, in mind, but your team often you have to help them. So it could be a mentoring session, could be a workshop, come to both. It's there to help you move on and you're, you know, it's not sleeping at night because something's on your mind. That's when you should reach out to Digital Boost because I'm sure we can help you. I'm absolutely certain of it. And um Joy, it is such a joy, no puns intended, to see you absolutely thriving uh, it, again with Tech Pixies and all the hats that you're wearing. And thank you for being a, being a member of our of our community and uh, and for being my friend because it's uh, it's great to you know great to know you and a privilege to know you. 
Well, I just want to say thank you back. You've been extremely influential in my career. And, you know, it's wonderful to get to know, you know, you said in the beginning, Dame Stephanie Shirley, who I absolutely love. I've read all of her books. I've met her in person. She's, you know, I totally get that. But you need people in your life like Dame Stephanie Shirley, Steve, like you, um, people who who say this is possible. You know, anything is possible. And I, I think we'll just close on this. You know, anything is possible if it's what you love. Anything is possible if it's solving a problem that you'd love to solve, you know, the problem. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad said, you can be anything. You can do anything. And I used to say back to him, well, I can't be a professional basketball player. And actually, the more I think about that, the more I think the answer back should have been, do you want to be a basketball player? Yeah. So I think it's like anything is possible, but it's possible if you want to do it. It's possible if it's in your DNA to do it. And we all have something in our DNA. We all have something in our heart of hearts that says, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm meant to be doing. And uh, hopefully you can discover that um, by listening to the podcast, by joining our programs, by getting involved in Digital Boost. Uh, but, you know, thank you, Sherry, uh, so much for the inspiration. And uh, I just, it's so much fun to watch the years unfold and see the different projects you do and also to, 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 to have someone to, to aspire to become. Well, likewise. Uh, so uh, let's go make more things possible together. Amen to that. All thank right. You. Thank you. Bye-bye.